This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 208. And the quote of the day is from James Patterson, who said, You are an endless project, changing, evolving, and surpassing. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. This is session 208, and it's been brought to my attention. I guess not everybody realizes that all 208 sessions are available at drummersresource.com. You can get them 100% free. You can download them, all of that. All the show notes are on the website as well. Only the most recent 50 are on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. There's a long story of why that is. I'm not going to go into it, but all of them are available at drummersresource.com. Also, at the top right-hand side of Drummers Resource, you can search for anybody that you want. So if you're looking for a Rich Redmond podcast that was a long time ago, rather than sifting through all of the pages, uh, you can just search on there and it'll bring up everything that's related to Rich or whoever you're looking for or Zach Danziger, who we have today or whoever it is. So if you're curious, if I've had someone just go there and search, like I said, you know, there's a lot on there done 280 of these. So uh, definitely probably some that you missed. Also, if you're looking to step up your gigging game and you want to stop getting passed over for the gigs that you deserve, learn how to get higher paying and higher profile gigs by going to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs. And I'll send you a five part email series called the secret to getting gigs and it's 100 free you just go there and every day you'll get a new email so you can sign up at drummersresource.com forward slash gigs now the interview i have today is with zach danziger and zach and i met i, t- I tell the story inside the podcast but we met out in Oxnard, california at drum channel and got to spend the evening together it's really cool and wanted to have, get him on the podcast for a while so here we are we got him and we talk a lot about evolving as a player and electronics and, you know, sort of getting things that you hear in your head out into the drum kit and different things like that. And we have some interesting interruptions and things like that. So really cool interview. I'm stoked that I finally got him on the podcast. And without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Zach Danziger. Zach, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, we've we're, we're sort of going through all of this, all of these things to make this thing happen. So for those of you listening, Zach is now sitting in a hallway because there's construction going on next to his house. There's also construction going on right now outside of my place. So if you hear jackhammers and people yelling and screaming and loud noises, that's uh, that's the nature of the beast here. That's how, that's what happens when you're in the city. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, actually, not a house. I, I'm not a house owner yet, not a homeowner, but my apartment. Uh, I got you. My, my domicile, if you will. Uh, yeah, they, the, the woman next door chose this particular morning, and I ran into her in the hallway, uh, this particular morning, a year and a half in advance, to have this done to her bathroom, which literally is right in the wall connected to my apartment. And uh, that's how it goes. So we're we're MacGyvering it right now. She's like, what time, you doing the, what time are you doing the interview? Okay, well, they'll start then. Well, that's it. And I, now I'm on the seventh floor. Uh, and I think people will probably come on out and think that there's a very weird person just sitting on the carpet here in the hallway on a floor that he doesn't live. But <laughs> I'll deal with that when, if and when it happens. So let's keep going with this. That is, uh, that is dedication. So Zach and I got to meet. We hung out at Drum Channel. They were doing the – so what, Tony James, the, he won the Guitar Center Drum Off. 
And then you and Tony and Dave Elitch did a thing at Drum Channel, a live, a live show. And then me and you and Dave and, and Don Lombardi went out for dinner. So it was a great time. Uh, and that's how, so that's how Zach and I got connected. And so I've been pestering him for a while to get him on the show because I've wanted to. So, so Zach, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I'm totally cool. And let's, let's give a little bit of context of your background, just for the people who may not know who you are. Um, and you've been at this, you've been at this game for a long time and how did it get started for you? Uh, well for me, I mean, I grew up in a musical household and I always took to the drums from a very young age. My mom was an, a singer, my father, piano player, and I used to go see them play in clubs around the city as like a three and four year old. And I just, uh, so are you originally from New York? I'm from Manhattan. Yeah. I grew oh, okay. up in Greenwich cool. village. So uh, just hanging out on, you know, at their gigs and just wanting to uh, play the drums, you know. So that's how it started. And I, I think I started more officially, like with lessons at the age of 10, but, uh, you know, banging on things from the age of three or four, but uh, took it more seriously and more structured at the age of 10. So, yeah, growing up in Manhattan, I kind of stayed here for most of my life. I've worked in L.A. a bunch for for different things over the years and sort of semi relocated there for brief stints, but it's mainly been, uh, New York is my home and I travel a bunch, uh, you know, touring with a bunch of groups and that takes me away from home a lot, but home is still New York. Right. So when you started, when you started to get more serious about it and you're saying, you know, at age 10, you're going to start taking lessons and things like that. Was there sort of an aha moment when you were like, this is it, this is all, I'm just going to do this. Or was it always just sort of a thing that you did and you had other stuff going on? Yeah, I mean, no, I I guess, you know, like any kid, I mean, I never thought I was going to play baseball for the New York Yankees, but um, right. and actually we, we may have an interruption in a second, so we're going to pause it. Uh, yeah. Just a, a musician's podcast. Oh, yeah, cool. so. so you should, you're a musician? Yeah. So we, we, we yeah. have to tell you about it. We're going to, don't go anywhere. We'll be back soon. Okay. All right, well, when I, when, when, when I wrap up this interview, probably another half hour, 45 minutes. Okay. This is hilarious. Isn't this hilarious? This is great. Right, hopefully, we, maybe we keep some of that. I would anyway, leave it. I'm, we're leaving it. It's dead. Yeah, let's leave some of that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the, the question was: Was there an aha moment, or did I just always want to do this? Yeah. So, what, as uh, as a teenager, I guess you know, not that I ever thought I'd play baseball for the Yankees or basketball for the Knicks, but I think that's what I would have done had I been skilled enough to do that. But I knew that wasn't happening, so. Mm-hmm. Drums, I thought I had a chance of maybe making some oh, – I wasn't about making money, but you know what I mean? I thought it could be a viable profession for me. Right. So I, And it wasn't like I didn't enjoy it. So it was at a young age that I thought uh, this is what I wanted to do. You know, There wasn't really a turning point. It, it just kind of happened like that. I didn't know that there were any other options for me. I had a family that if I told them I wanted to be a lawyer or an accountant, they probably would have talked me out of that. So right. I had the reverse situation of most families. So – not that I was urged to do music, but I wasn't stopped in the least. I was encouraged, and mm-hmm. I just rolled with that. So does anybody else in your family play drums? Um, my uncle played drums. Okay. Uh, my mom's brother, and he played drums for Gloria Gaynor and some other artists, and he owned a recording studio. So I, I, I would say as a young kid, I would see him as well playing, uh, and I, I was into that as well. Yeah, so that might have also helped fuel the fire. Yeah. So what were what was the kind of stuff that you were listening to and that you were playing? I'm interested because you have you have your own style. You have a unique style. Like when when I hear you play, I know it's you. Uh, mm. And well, 
That makes one of us, but thanks. <laughs> and I think that that comes from, you know, your influences and the things that you were listening to when you were growing up and learning. So who yes. were some of your, who were some of your influences and what was a lot of the stuff that you were listening to? Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you this. So uh, my parents were more into like a Broadway show, sort of like loungy nightclub style, um, form of music in their line of work. So there was a lot of that in the house and there was classical music and some, you know, bebop playing as well. But I, I didn't really take to a lot of that. Like I didn't run to that when I got to my radio, you know, as a kid and the stuff I always liked listening to was R and B disco in the, um, you know, in that era in the late seventies, early eighties. And then when rap and hip hop were first starting, I mean, very, very early on. And I don't remember all the name of of the artists, but that was the stuff that I listened to in the records and the the 45s. I'd go to the store and I'd buy 45s of Chic and I'd buy 45s of uh, like Daz Band. I mean, just like tons of things that I'd hear on the radio and I'd want to get it. You know, mm -hmm. there was this uh, Jimmy Spicer Adventures of Super Rhymes that was like one of the early rap tunes, and of course Curtis Blow and you know Sugar Hill Gang. Like th these are the things I gravitated towards and disco cheesy stuff would be at Donna Summer or you know. And any of that era stuff, Cheryl Lynn, uh, I just really dug all that. So that's what I listened to, musically speaking, uh, in the beginning. Then drumming-wise, when I started studying, I was studying at the Drummers Collective for a good stretch. And uh, the guys up there, my teachers, were uh, exposing me to Steve Gadd and, and Harvey Mason and Jeff Ricaro and those type of guys in that era, uh, Billy Cobham, uh, Tony Williams, and all, all the usual suspects, I guess. Mm -hmm. And... I, I would say a turning point for me, as you had asked earlier, might be I, I had a little lull inspirationally um, as a 13-year-old. I know it sounds ridiculous looking back on it, but yes, as a 13-year-old, I hit a lull. And I was teetering on being disinterested with continuing to play. I mean, I probably wouldn't have stopped, but I was just kind of, you know, semi-disinterested. Uh, and I remember my dad's friend told him that we should go see the Chicory Electric Band. Now, the Chicory Electric Band had just started. I mean, mm -hmm. they were around for two months. Nobody knew who they were. I just knew I was going to see Chick Corea, who had a new band that was not quite jazz, you know, in, in its purest form. And I'd seen him play six months prior with Roy Haynes. Um, and it was great. But it, at that point, I was looking for something new in my mind, you know, to, that I had never seen before. And I went and saw that show at the bottom line. It was 1985. And it totally changed my life. And, um, that was definitely a point where I said, I, I need to figure out how to play drums like this. And what's funny is... Um, Who was playing with him? Uh, Dave Weckl. Was he? And John Patitucci. Yeah, yeah, I it wasn't was the sure original electric was. band. Okay. It was Trio at that point. Yeah. They, they just, and so that, that definitely gave me all the inspiration I needed to continue playing. And what's funny is that I recently went back to a YouTube video from that era. Uh, it's called Chick Corea Live at the Maintenance Shop. I think that was actually recorded maybe months prior to me seeing the band, but it was that same era. And I looked at it and I can remember, it, it wasn't even nostalgic. It's like, even to this day, I can watch that and go, that was, I mean, of course it was forward thinking and great stuff, but it holds up today. It's still forward thinking. And uh, I wasn't crazy to have been influenced to that extent uh, mm -hmm. when I was there as, as a young kid, right. you know? So uh, that, that was a big one for me. And then, you know, as the years progressed, I got more into electronic music that didn't have live drummers. It was just sample-based stuff and cut-up stuff, uh, be it hip-hop or be it 
drum and bass jungle in 1995-96 i got heavily into that and then got into production and when i first heard this music there was no part of me that wanted to play it as a drummer i wanted to create it the way those guys were creating it and that was with computers and drum machines i had not said oh my god this is great i want to play drums like this i just thought i want to make music like this so i I you know, bought the software and samplers I thought I needed, and I immersed myself for many years in production, more electronic and hip-hop and, ele- and that sort of stuff. And uh, that carries over to this, you know, to this moment where I still do a lot of that. But then I got re-inspired to play the drums again as it seemed like eventually drummers didn't want to approach it themselves as a production programming thing but they wanted to try to physically play the drums to sound like that Mm -hmm. and even though that wasn't my intention i I helped zildjian back in the day we did a line of symbols called the remix line in the late 90s that was meant to recreate electronic sampled drum sounds and a lot of companies have definitely run with that idea over the years Mm -hmm. uh but when we came out with that there weren't any other companies that were doing this and then Years later, it became more in fashion. And when we did it, no one knew what the point of these symbols were. I, I went out and did clinics, and I got blank stares. They, they didn't know what the point of this was. I tried to explain the music I was, you know, that I was trying to tackle with this. And right. again, just a lot of crickets you know, as I uh, tried to do this. And then years later, it seemed like it was now catching on and understood and more prevalent. And I decided, hey, maybe it's time that I get back on the horse and learn how to play the drums in this style. And so that's been a sort of thing of mine for the last however many years. And I'm not even close to where I want to be to, to be able to do it in, in the vision I have for it. But that's what kind of brings me to the current moment where I'm at now, fusing all this stuff together and coming at it back around, you know, incorporating all the influences from production and a musical drumming standpoint back onto the drum set. So there's, there's a couple questions that I have. Uh, one, I want to go, I want to go back to Chick Corea for a second and what's your, and I might be putting you in hot water or putting you on the spot here, but I, what, I, I get myself in trouble all the time. So <laughs> just come. All right. Back. So what do you, what's your honest take on, on Weckles playing? Uh, wow. This is a hot seat topic for yeah. me. He will, he will always be one of my greatest influences. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to start the bidding with that. That being said, I and that's why I did make mention of this YouTube video. I preferred uh, – there was something that was happening when he first broke out with that band and even prior to that on Bill Connor's record called Step It that I listened to that uh, every now and again just, just for a reality check. And anybody who wants to say anything about uh, – things they may not like in Weckles playing because he's evolved. Okay. And he's changed mm-hmm. his style. And I have a theory, which I'm sure will uh, garner a lot of debate, but I've thought a lot about this and I'm, I'm finding that I think it's happening to me. So that's why I'm, the theory is becoming more true. Uh, I think drumming is a very physical instrument as we know. Uh, I don't want to say it's a sport because when people say it's a sport, you feel like you're taking musicality out of the equation. But they're two separate things. I mean, you always have to be musical with something. But there, there is a physical um, nature to the instrument, more probably more so than a lot of other instruments. And I just know when I leave the stage, I feel like I, you know, ran a marathon or something, or or a sprint rather, and my got to change my clothes almost. It's that bad. So there's a physical element to drumming. So that can't be denied. So. 
my point is this. If we're going to equate the physicality of it to sports, which I'm going to do right now, uh, you, you take a basketball player in their prime and then you take them at 40 years old, you know, when they're hanging on the last few years of like Kobe Bryant or, or Jordan or whoever. It doesn't have to be a superstar. Anybody. Uh, they they have to change their game. Uh, you know, uh, like somebody like Tim Duncan wasn't even like a, a flashy player, but even within his like down uh, played finesse as a ball player, he had to change his game because he physically couldn't do it the way he could. Okay, right. so they had to alter the way they did things and the grace and, and and just the fluidity of the motions. I mean, I'll go to the grave. You just watch footage of any player at 22 and at 40. The, the fluidity's gone. You know, the sap in the tree is drying out, and they become a little stiffer. It's not by choice. Your body can't do it as well. You know, and I think uh, I I really think it happens to drummers. Now, as drummers, you can make adjustments. You can change your game a little bit. You know, and do something differently. But there's there's just no denying that uh, anybody. And you know, uh, I don't want to name names, but just think of any drummer at the age of sixty. I'm not going to say that they're They've gotten worse. It's not about better or worse, but in the way I'm speaking, they're not able to do it the way they could. Sure. And I think that's fair. I don't think that's an indictment. Mm-hmm. And I find it happening to me as well. Now, I was never in tremendous physical shape. So in my case, I can almost Benjamin Button myself. I feel like if I, you know, there are guys who, you know, never lifted a, a weight or went out jogging for a minute of their life until they were 55 years old and they say, I'm in the best shape of my life. Do you know what I mean? But had they done that at 25, they would have been in better shape at 25 than 55. Right. Just so happens they were lying on the couch till they were 50. So I feel like on some level I'm one of those people. So maybe at my age I can somehow be even in better physical fluidity than I was at 20 just because I didn't give it the attention at 20. Hmm. So this is a very long-winded explanation. No, I'm, I, I'm, this, is, this is great. And, and I really believe in this. And I, and I, and I, would, I know I'm going to get lambasted by people. You know, the people are going to say this is not true and show me examples but i I just think it's physics you know and it's biology with this and uh which is to say i think weckl changed his style to be more finesseful as a lot of guys do when they uh get older and i preferred just the 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 more kind of like haphazard physicality that he was uh bringing Mm -hmm. uh and and his aesthetic and i love the way his drum sounded back then and he he rigged it up to triggers i mean you know i do a lot of drum triggering and i look back and was like this guy's doing this in 1985 right with literally two refrigerators worth of samplers and mixers and he was so dialed in that was the weckle that got me going and that's still my favorite weckle right, you know? right so right. and i will defend that to the death so <laughs> anyone who has any doubt of what this guy uh brings to the table if they think they're not getting that from him just go back to 1985 and then I want to hear somebody's opinion, you know? So well, that's co- my response. Coincidentally, I, I've like, people are going to kill me for this. I've never really been a Weckl fan. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I, of course he's Dave Weckl. He plays, you know, he has tremendous chops and, 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 and all that, but he has just astonishing facility, but I never, it just never spoke to me. I didn't feel like he played very musically. Right. Okay. And then I went to the Vic Firth 50th anniversary party and he played there and I was blown away. Like, oh, there you go. Completely yeah. blown away. And I was like, he sounded completely different. He sounded like he, yeah, like every, he, he sounded like, he sounded like an orchestra and, and he did this solo that was musical and it had peaks and valleys and it, 
and it sort of traveled and 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 had tons of melody and all kinds of stuff and i was like holy shit that's that's a different dave weckle than i've ever heard in my entire not that i you know studied him at at length or anything but it was pretty amazing to hear like the fact that it's funny because you liked him back in the eighties and I think I like him now more than I did then. I think he plays uh-huh. more musically now than he did then. Right. I, I gotcha. And I think there was, it, when we say the eighties to me, I hear a distinction in, in also the, you know, the, the, the music that he was playing at different times. If you take 1985, for example, and you go to 1988, to me, there's a shift there as well. So like mm-hmm. when we say the eighties, you might not, I've actually heard the, the exact things I'm talking about, um, which maybe you haven't. It may not be your cup of tea, and you know we can respect that, of course. But for me, yeah, uh, I, I just know with people trying to evolve and to change the way they approach the drum set, uh, I have no problem with that. Um, you know, people get criticized for for not playing the way they did in the past. I get a lot of people right. uh, who say that my best days were in the '90s, and I'm absolutely positive that they're not and um they refer back to an album in a period of time where i was working with this guitarist wayne krantz in the early 90s and mid 90s i mean everyone comes up to me and just goes that's that album and blah 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 i can't listen to that album i i'm it's not to say it's not a good album and me and wayne talk about this a lot which record are you talking about the two drink minimum yeah well that's that's the one that most people talk about that the first one we did was called long to be loose and that that record was the the one that started sort of the trio sound then we did a live record called two drink minimum it, it seems like more people either have heard that or that's the one that i i get uh, comments on uh from guys uh I, I personally believe that if i were to do that album again if we were to roll tape again at, at the same club with the same music i would be a lot happier with my performance today you know, mm-hmm. so I think when people have wished that I played like that, I, I sometimes I feel like some guys think I choose not to play like that, or some may feel I can't play like that anymore. For me, it was more of a choice, you know. But I, I feel like if I get back on that bandstand with that material again, that I'm going to play it to the satisfaction of anybody who liked what they heard in 1996 or something, you know. So mm-hmm. in fact, I would argue they're probably all like it more. So I think. Uh, again, back to the point of Weckl, musical context plays a big part. If somebody likes you in a certain group and then you're playing a different style of music that they don't understand or in a different way, they think that your best days are behind you. Meanwhile, uh, you know, equal amounts of people will criticize certain musicians who I won't name for not evolving, for sounding the same that they've sounded for 20 years. Do you know what I mean? So, like, sure. I think there's there's pros and cons. Like, I think it's kind of a cool thing to brand your sound. So like for 20 years, you have a similar sound and it's timeless and people know it's you all the time. Uh, sometimes being a chameleon and you're on this thing and this and this, and you, you've evolved. Uh, they're like, well, why don't you stick with your style? You know? And I think neither way is right or wrong. So, right. Uh, I, I can't criticize anybody's evolution or lack of evolution. I just know for myself, I, I, uh, it's not about get bored easily, but I'm, I get interested in new things easily. It's not about being bored. It's about I want to see what this is about. I'm interested in this now. Sure. Um, so I, keep, you know, it's it's a it's an evolution, like you said. You know, it's it's life. That's what that things are gonna. The only thing constant is change. There you go. I've heard that before. You know, <laughs> some people don't yeah. change, like you said. Right, and and I'm not gonna say there's anything wrong or right with either approach, but. 
I may go through a phase in a few years where I stop and I stay the same playing wise and musically and I just settle in on a, a genre or something and never vacillate and that could happen. Right. And that's not, that's okay too. But I don't think so because I don't think it's like me to want to just uh, ignore what keeps on coming into my head or things that somebody tells me to check out or whatever, you know? Sure. So, sure. Yeah. No, I, I I'm sorry you. for the long winded answers, by nope. the way. No, I, I, I appreciate it because I, I think that it's important for people to understand that not only when they're listening to other people, but when they're listening to what's going on in their head and, you know, you, you may be into one thing for a little while and then it's like, oh, that's what I do, but I really am interested in checking this other thing out or playing differently or experimenting with some other things and, you know, not to, not to, uh, to fight that and, and sort of let that come in naturally and work itself into your plan. No, that, that's it. I mean, the one thing I could say that hasn't changed um, is a is sort of like a, a conceptual thing for me of wanting to uh, just get out what's in my head. Now, now that's very open ended because maybe I'll I'll want to do uh, an orchestral thing next year, you know. So, but but it's still the the overriding desire to not just uh, take a back seat and just provide what someone else wants you to provide. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's, it's to, if you have, you know, if you don't have anything you want to say of your own, that's also okay. But if you do, I think there's a need to, to try to at least put that forth, you know, and that hasn't changed by me. I mean, you know, I still value my projects that are things I have the most control over where I decide on the music and I decide on where we're playing. And, and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's, to me, always going to hit more home with me because I find that that's that's where uh, I, I get to uh, bring out what I'm what I'm hearing on, on many fronts. So, and if anybody's wondering, the uh, the background noise is provided by Joe's Construction Service. <laughs> that, that's it. So you actually heard the? You, you no, I can hear it on my end. There's like sawing oh, and, and okay. grinding. Oh, and right. so it's a two way beats and like anything. So yeah, that's oh, just part it. of the ambiance here that we no, offer. This is at yeah, This is the type of. Yeah, no, no, this is, uh, you know, it's a full service operation. It's free. It's free too. So it's all right. Good, good price. Uh, so now you had mentioned, uh, sort of integrating electronics into your kit. So I have two questions. The first question would be, what's your advice for people who want to start experimenting with some of these, with some electronics and, you know, for some who like for me personally, I don't really use any electronics and I, I have like a trigger pad if I need it for some things, but I don't integrate a lot of electronics into my playing uh and it can seem daunting at times so yes. what what's your advice to for someone to sort of start to put the toe in the water and start to navigate around using some electronics in their kit right the first thing i do when i when people ask me this i don't try to dissuade them but i try to inform them on, on exactly what they may be getting into here or at right. least what i what i found i uh you know got it into which is strife to the nth degree you know i'm i am killing hours for the most ridiculous troubleshooting tasks and of course when <laughs> probed to think of like give me an example I'm, I'm coming up blank but like i'm working on a project i have a project called edit bunker this is a shameless plug or maybe a shameful plug but uh i i do something where uh, me and a Owen Biddle, bass player, have this duo where we 
play music and not only do we manipulate audio from our instruments with samples, but we manipulate video in real time. So if somebody's on a screen above us, we're able to put notes in that person's mouth and have them sing melodies as we play them on our instruments. And it's technology that, you know, I'm not trying to say we're doing anything groundbreaking, but I, I am saying I've never seen anybody do it quite like this, which is to say, I don't know where to look on how to learn how to do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was something I had in my head. I had to figure out how this could work. I'm still figuring out how it could work. And you're running into limitations with software that doesn't do exactly what you want to do. Not because it can't, meaning not because the technology isn't good enough, but because somebody didn't think to build that feature into a piece of software. Because they they wouldn't think, why would somebody want to do this? You know, but here I am wanting to do this. So you think of workarounds and how to sort of jerry-rig. And I've spoken to a lot of companies over the years just telling them that they could build into some existing thing, some product that they have that would incorporate what I need, maybe seven different pieces of hardware and software to be able to do. It could be built into one box. And it's not like the box would have to be something where it's like, hey, everybody, this is a box that lets you trigger and manipulate, you know, vocals on a video. It's, that doesn't have to be specifically for that, right. but it could have those features that if you want to dig deep, you have that at your disposal. So again, another long-winded answer is like, I sit there for hours with a problem of like, I just want to hit the drums and have a different video trigger every time I hit the drum, but only when I want it to be a different video to trigger. If I don't want it to be a different video, then I want to hit a button and then we disable that feature. You know, mm-hmm. that's just an example. Sure. And and it's not easy to do in programs uh, that I have. And you have to then use another program to fool it to say send out different MIDI note information. So it's like tricking the other software to think sure. you're doing it. You know, and then by doing that, you're putting more videos in your timeline on the software. And then that's blocking that up so then you go hey should i take one video and then do something where say just pick a random start point within the video you know i'm talking very abstract and specific right now but right. these are situations that i run into that just sometimes take hours to just figure out and you none of get, which is very is very stable either i'm guessing right no uh, we're doing a gig on in a couple of weeks in germany at, a, at the leipzig jazz festival and we're on the bill with um you know, artists who probably have their shit together. Sorry to curse, but but we're we're yeah, we, flying, we encourage cursing here. Oh, great! Uh, we're flying by the seat of our pants, and I thought of, you know, I've thought for years because I had a project called Mr. Barrington with the same amount of technology, not video technology, but a lot of computer technology. We've always discussed what do we do if and when the the computer crashes, one of our computers, and it's happened on gigs, mm-hmm. and we've either had to reboot and tell the other guy in the in the group to you know kind of do his thing for a minute while I reboot and I did something at the Montreal drum fest where like right in the middle of the, of the concert, uh, the whole thing went out and I'm literally fielding questions you know, like in the clinic while with one hand trying to reboot my computer and figure out what went wrong. You know, so I know the solutions to this and usually the solutions are time and money time to, uh, figure it out and build it and to maybe get two computers, two audio interfaces, two sets of triggers, two of everything. Mm-hmm. Money to afford to buy two of everything. You know what I mean? And can Time, they be running simultaneously? From what I hear, it, I, you know, like a, in other words, if Katy Perry was to do a show and she has a, a set of things running, she's got redundancy where I think you flick a switch 
but I can't imagine just what you need to do that. You know what I mean? Like right. uh, for me, I know I'd need to switch out inputs on, I have microphones on every drum and cymbal with these piezo triggers attached. And if my one system goes out, do I, do I need to have a patch bay that runs double the, the cables to yet another uh, audio interface? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. you definitely need redundancy. And at what point does it run parallel? Well, like the videos will be, you know, able to be triggered without missing a beat. I kind of think something would lag for a second. Right. But, you, but That's probably, better than crashing. Though. It's better than crashing. So we've thought of things to do in case it crashes, and it, and it probably compromises the show. Uh, you know, if, if, if no crash, the show is at 100% for argument's sake. By it crashing, I think I can get the show to 70% by doing something that's going to compromise it by 30%. But I will accept that, right. you know, if and when that happens. So, again... I'm giving long-winded answers today in the hallway and I'm in my building. It's very bizarre. <laughs> but uh, I just want people to understand, while it's been pretty rewarding and fulfilling for me, and I don't see any other way for me could, to do what I need to do to achieve something that's in my head, it has caused a level of frustration and anxiety and just, you name it, and compromise to my own drumming that, I'm, for me, it's worth it. But I mm. don't know if everybody will feel the same way. I don't want anybody cursing my name. Like, why did you tell me to get into this? You've got me in this, you know, bad addiction now. Right. Because you know? it's screwed up. And I've realized over the years I've let my drumming slip uh, because I'm focusing so much on this where guys are practicing six hours a day, making sure that their fulcrum is right. I'm making sure that my video is triggering when I want to select a different layer on my video. Uh, That's my practice. I see. And the the sad part to me is when I hit the stage on October 1st and I'm triggering videos and I've got synths on the drums, you can't help if you're the audience to imagine that all they're really, not all they're judging you on, but the main thing they're judging you on is they see a guy playing the drums. And if your drumming is compromised, they're not going to be at the gig going, hmm, he sounds pretty good, but you know what? I'm sure he would have been better had he not spent the last six hours, you know, trying to render another layer of video so that the codec would work better. And, you know, they're just saying, do I like his drumming? Right. You know what I mean? So with all this stuff I'm trying to do, it still reduces down to, can I play the drums? And I feel like the answer to that is not as well as I'd like to. So I need to take some measures. I need to find more hours in the day to devote time to being a drummer. In addition to devoting time to make sure that my quick time videos are in the right codec so that they'll stream properly when i trigger them you know so well that's what i was going to ask yeah. how do you how do you fix that situation how do you uh you know i mean obviously it's like you know managing time but like if it start it's starting to affect you and i'm guessing um you know from the tone of your voice you're saying it's starting to getting the way of your playing and starting to hinder rather than help correct correct the, the way to do it is to you know, prioritize or shift and go, Hey, normally I would spend 10 hours editing videos to be right. And I'd spend 40 minutes on the drums if that, so maybe I edit videos for eight hours and I'd spend two hours and 40 minutes, you know what I mean? And and just go, the video stuff will be compromised by 20%, but my drumming preparation will be upped by 200%. You know what I mean? So I have Mm -hmm. to look at it that way. Um, down the road again, if I had some, I mean, it's sort of a cry for help on some level. I don't, I don't like to, you know, ask for favors of people or anything like that, but there isn't, there aren't a lot of people who I could even give a ring to, to, to have them go, Oh, I know what you need to do. You need to take the trigger. And then, you know, cause they don't have this software, you know, no one's rigging it up like I am. So 
So I, are, th- are yeah. there options for you to, to create your own, your own interfaces and things like that, working with different companies? Uh, if they would allow for that, or if I, you know, had enough money to hire some independent person to build me a prototype. Absolutely. What I'm hoping to do is that little by little, I get the concept stronger where I can present it to a company a little bit more concretely. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that I felt when I was with the remix symbols met with blank stairs, and now every symbol you see on the market has holes drilled in it. And we did it in 1998 to blank stairs. One day someone's going to, you know, come to me with a box that has everything I'm talking about. I'm going to go, I wish you would have listened to me 10 years ago. You know, I would have had a lot better, uh, you know, a lot easier of a, of a time here. But I think uh, the day's going to come where they're going to go, I get what you're trying to do. And I think there's now a demand for this Mm -hmm. and people will want to do it. I think it's not quite there yet. And I'm willing to wait it out because I think it will happen, you know? So until then, I'm just going to keep going because I've delved down one road in one way of doing this for so long that I have to, uh, you know, I'm too far deep in it right now. Right. So. Speaking of DW, which is where I met Zach, they're also a podcast sponsor and they have some great things going on over there with Gretsch, with LP, with DW. So go to all of their sites, check out Gretsch, check out LP, check out DW. I'm sure they got something that you'll like. And it's a great family vibe inside of that company. And I really have fallen in love with that company just because I've met all the people who handle all the behind the scenes stuff at DW, a great company, a great group of people and amazingly great product. So check them out, dwdrums.com or gretch.com or lppercussion.com. Definitely check them out. Well worth it. And be sure to thank them for keeping this podcast free for so long. Also, Promark has just released not only the Mike Portnoy signature stick, but also the Rich Redman signature stick. Now, both of these sticks have what's called active grip technology. So active grip technology gets tacky as your hands heat up. So that way they're not slipping out of your hands and you're not losing your grip on the stick. Totally cool thing that they invented. And you can learn more about that. The Mike Portnoy signature stick, Rich Redmond signature stick, and their entire product line at Promark.com. Speaking of new releases, Sabian has just released more big and ugly symbols to their line, including an 18-inch AA Sick Hat and also a 14-inch and a 16-inch AA Apollo Hat. There's a 14-inch XXR Monarch Hats. So they have all of these new releases coming out for the big and ugly line. And you can learn all about them at Sabian.com forward slash big ugly. I recommend checking out that 18-inch AA Sick Hat. It is a beast. Again, Sabian.com forward slash Big Ugly for more info. And now that the bills are paid, let's get back into it with Zach Danziger. The other thing I was going to ask about playing, in that you would mention fusing electronics into acoustic, but was there was there a path that you were on for a while where you were trying to mimic electronic sounds with acoustic instruments or... Was it always a hybrid of both? Well, okay, again, so in 1996, a friend of mine who writes uh, for a bunch of magazines, Ken McAuliffe, he does a lot of modern drummer interviews. He was always through the years, and he was a great drummer as well. He was always on the uh, – he, he just always knew what was coming out musically in different genres and would always say, check this out, check this out. Uh, hit me to music way before I knew 
what it was. And so one day he said, I, I was in the UK and I interviewed three guys and the three guys were Aphex twin, uh, Richard James square pusher, his name is Tom Jenkinson and a guy named Luke Vibert who went under the moniker plug at that time. And he also goes under wagon Christ and, and uh, a bunch of other names. So uh, he brought me back a, a mixtape that he made from like 1995, 96. And he said, check this out. Uh, Fotec was another artist on there mm -hmm. and I listened to it. And that was the thing that, again, was another almost Chick Corea-like moment was like, this is some new stuff. I am inspired to figure out how to do this. But it was never, again, figure out how to play it on the drums. It was figure out how are they programming their, these drums to, to do this? What, how, what, what equipment is it? So initially, it was never to try to play it and duplicate those sounds on the drums. I got you. Uh, it was Because that's what Jojo Mayer does, right? That's what Jojo – so, yeah, Jojo Mayer and I had a night that we that – we, uh, did in New York at two different clubs and back in 97, 98, he had his band nerve. I had a band called boomish at the time and we used to kind of double bill all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, I think was his philosophy and I could be wrong. You'd have to ask him, but was to maybe try to sonically mimic a little closer. But at that time I was, uh, you know, playing in a similar format, but I was, just trying to get some weird, wacky sample stuff out with the drumming, not pertaining to the drums per se, but just like other melodic and, and things out of samplers. It was a little different approach. Uh, I find myself now thinking more about like, how do I make my drums sound electronic? You know, I do it now with triggers and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But initially, the, no, I was just more into the art form as that art form was done in its in its form, which was never guys playing at the time it was taking right uh recorded drums and manipulating them in computers that's what interested me about that at the time i got you i got you that makes so, sense yeah. sure so i want to switch gears a little bit because i know we when we were at dinner you had talked about you're doing more work in la and you do film work as well right 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 and again my my apologies if my tone of voice sounds really solemn or serious because uh I think there's something about this hallway that's wanting me to sound a little bit uh, careful with every word and measured as to like not have somebody come out here and go, what the hell are you doing? All right. So uh, to all the listeners out there, I think I'm a lot more fun of a human being at, at times. Not all the time, but uh, you're catching me in a more solemn uh, mode. So I just wanted to make that disclaimer right there. Well, we'll have anyway. to have you back and you can be yelling and screaming. Oh, and I'm going to be giddy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah, I spent a, a good chunk of this year in L.A., which was uh, – 2016 to do some stuff. I, I have, I had done a lot of movie soundtrack stuff, not only as a drummer, but uh, writing pieces of music for movies. I'd say from 1998, 99, uh, till, uh, let's say 2010, 2012, as far as like, uh, that was the bulk of where I did a lot of film soundtrack stuff. I am, uh, still doing stuff, but not as much cause I'm realizing that it was never something I necessarily wanted to do as, as my main thing. Uh, it, it's something that I got asked to do and I was able to do it. And I, I guess I did it well enough where they kept asking me to do it and it pays well, you know, it, there's a good pay scale for that. That's, um, one of the few lines of work in the music business that I guess still has some sort of like wage, although I guess that's diminishing too, as the years go on, but it was just an auxiliary thing for me that, that snowballed. So I get, I kept getting asked to do it, but it's not like a true desire to just supply that type of music as my main thing. I mean, my main desire is whatever, you know, basic or 
eclectic or bizarro stuff I want to do musically. I just want to get that out. And I mm-hmm. understand that that's not usually the demand of me when asked to do movie soundtracks. So I got uh, it. I, it's quite the opposite. It's, you know, it, if you heard the spectrum of things I, I get asked and write for a lot of movies compared to the thing that I have as my own projects, it kind of is polar opposites in, in many ways. So um, I would much prefer to do what's in my head because I think when I'm long gone, that's something you can turn to and go, like, you know, you can say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure Zach did that. Where many of the, many of the movie things, you'd be hard-pressed to go, yeah, I think Zach did that, unless mm-hmm. you read the credits. Sure, you know? sure. So I, I want to try, I strive to be somebody that you hear it and you go, that, that could be Zach, you know, or mm-hmm. it probably is Zach. So. so do you have advice for anybody who wants to try to get into that? into that business into I mean, the movie. did it just sort of happen for you or was it yeah it happened sort of semi-accidentally i i had worked with uh somebody who asked me to do some music uh in a pinch for a movie and i was just thought it was a wild stab in the dark and we wrote some stuff and they took it and that person ended up asking us to do a lot more so that was one thing and then i got you know one one thing that i'm sure you've heard from a lot of people but it's true is like you know you, you, there's some degree of luck to everything uh, mm-hmm. you can have good luck you can have bad luck you can you know no luck but i think everybody's career is filled with missed opportunities that just didn't happen for whatever reason and opportunities that maybe wouldn't have happened but you got lucky the right thing happened at the right time uh, i got asked to to play on an album by a band called primal scream that was produced by a uh, track was produced by this guy, David Holmes. He came to New York from the UK and he didn't know any drummers. So he was in the studio and he asked, the, I think the intern at the studio, can you recommend me a drummer? So he didn't have the confidence. I don't think himself to recommend a drummer. So I think he called his brother who was a bass player or something who then asked a friend of mine, uh, bass player, Tim LaFave, mm-hmm. if he knew somebody. And I think at the time, Tim, Tim LaFave gave myself Keith Carlock and another name. And it was basically I don't know what order that, that this intern called us, but he must have just threw out phone calls to all three of us. And it was just basically whoever got back to him first, I guess, was going to get the gig, you know. So nice. I must I must have called back first. I went into the studio, worked for this guy, David Holmes. He really liked what I did. And that snowballed into me playing on a lot of albums for him and playing on all the soundtracks to Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I did Ocean's Eleven, Twelve and Thirteen with him uh, and a lot of other movies. And the way I really look at that is – I mean, who knows the, the duration, but if I had waited 15 more minutes to make the phone call back or, you know what I mean? Would I not have gotten any of this? Uh, quite possibly not. Right. Or uh, would Keith Carlock have done it and he would have loved Keith, but maybe three years later, Keith wasn't around for Ocean's Eleven and then I got recommended for that. Who's to say? They will never know. But I kind of feel that I wouldn't have had those opportunities had I not made that phone call. So uh, hmm. any any... Uh, you were saying any words of advice, I guess that the advice is, uh, you know, when I got into it, it was by accident, but I was also prepared as a uh, producer writer because I had a lot of electronics and computer experience to write tracks. Uh, and now kind of people realize there's some lucrative work there. So you have a lot more composers vying for the same work. And it wasn't, it's a lot more crowded than it was. So I think it's harder to break in than it was. Uh, so I don't even know if I have advice cause I don't know how someone breaks in now. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how, how, uh, I just know like the few connections that I've had from a while ago, some of them still exist and that's why I'm still doing that. I'm not sure how I would do it if I started from scratch. Um, 
everything's different. I mean, back in the day, there was no, hey, check my SoundCloud out, check my YouTube, look what I've done. It was word of mouth or meeting somebody. So I think there's different channels on how somebody gets, you know, as a drummer or a composer or anything. I think mm -hmm. it's changed. And not to sound like an old man because I'm up on technology, but I don't know if there's a, you know, I, I think someone was like saying, hey, you, you know, everyone's moving to this now. You got to put your stuff on here or here. And it's like, well, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> right. So it, it constantly evolves. That makes sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. So let's talk about some current stuff that you have going on now and, and what you have sort of on tap for the future. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, like I said, I've been spending, and, and I kid you not, just about every waking moment aside from, you know, eating. And I mean, there's a point in the day where if I work more than a certain amount of hours in a row, um, I'm going to feel like my arm is tingling from, you know, the too much trackpad or I'm, you know, literally, uh, haven't eaten in hours and my stomach is, I'm double over in pain from not eating. So my, I have to do certain things to not go totally nuts, but within reason, every other minute has been spent getting these uh, video elements together for this edit bunker show and getting the um, technology together, how to trigger the videos uh, in a certain way. We're doing an hour performance and we're rewriting most of the show. We've only done maybe five gigs as, as this edit bunker project. And this is a, a full on show that we have to kind of like write and, you know, conceive of a lot of new material. And uh, that's what I've been doing in the very present moment. And I hope to do more of that beyond this this show we have in October. But right after that, I embark on uh, six weeks on and off with Wayne Krantz in the U.S. and Asia and Europe. Uh, and then some scattered stuff in Europe with Donnie McCaslin, who you may know uh, Mark Giuliano plays on his mm -hmm. recordings. And they were the band that was on the David Bowie album. And I feel when, when Mark's too busy uh, out doing other things. So I'm doing a couple of weeks with that. So the next, I'd say, eight weeks to nine weeks from now are pretty wall-to-wall -wall where I won't even be home. I, I won't be in New York more than a day between now, which is September, and December, and it's going to be all road stuff. And this is the longest I think I've ever been away from home, except when I stayed in L.A. for work on a constant level. I, like, I never traveled this much in my life, like, to where I'm about to go. I hope my body holds up, but I'm also looking <laughs> forward to the opportunity to, this will actually get my playing hopefully to back to a level where I feel comfortable behind the drum set. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you had to do, I'm guessing you have to do some shedding too, just to sort of get back in shape a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, not I get back work, in shape, but no, no, but you're right. And, and, and I, I've done some gigs with Wayne locally over the last six months. And what happened was he asked me to do one of them maybe back in February and I hadn't done it maybe in five or 10 years. And I finished the gig and I thought to myself, my playing feels different like after two hours of this gig than it did in the last five years of anything I've done. So maybe I should do more of this, you know? So right. um, I did some scattered uh, gigs throughout the last six months and I feel like I, something shifts in my playing in a very positive way after each one of these gigs. So I'm hoping that's going to be exponential as I do about 30 gigs with him in the next, I don't know how long. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I've been rehearsing with him and, but it's more like, uh, for me, it's uh, already kind of the process has begun of, um, uh, I guess, shedding or, you know, fine-tuning right. what I need to do. Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So do you teach privately or do you, do you have any students or do you do that thing? I used to. Uh, um, when I was practicing at the Drummers Collective, eventually um, 
I shifted to teaching there and I was like the youngest guy on staff and I did it probably from the age of 16 to 23 and I got a little burnt out on it because uh, to me as a teacher, you learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot from your students, but it's also like, uh, I feel like on some level you're a therapist, you know, to yourself and to the student. You know, I know when I'm a student, when I'm taking a lesson or when I'm talking to some of my favorite drummers, I feel like uh, I'm sitting on a, on a couch, you know, like just telling them what woes me in my musicality, you know? So like sometimes that's a lot to endure. I'm somebody who definitely like takes on somebody else's problems and internalize them as my own. It's hard for me to deflect it. So right. I just came to a point where I had, I felt I needed to just get my own act together and not uh, feel like uh, I, I couldn't feel those other issues because it was starting to make me question a lot of my own things as a player. Do you know what I mean? Hmm, so that's interesting. Yeah, so I, I hadn't quite a while, the, um, the teaching thing. And uh, so I don't do it currently, and I'm saying never person. So there could be a point soon or not so soon where all I want to do is teach. You know, right. I, I really don't know. But uh, the, the answer is no. It's, it's interesting. I've never heard that perspective. of It's almost like all shrinks have shrinks because they have to sort of unload all of that onto someone else that right. they're, that they're yeah. taking in. And when you be, you know, as the teacher, it's an interesting concept of saying, okay, I'm hearing all these people complain about all this stuff with their problems. And you're probably like, Oh, maybe I don't have that together either. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, when I say complain about the problems, I don't mean their personal problems. No, I, no, no. I get it. I, I, and not problems. Just, just like, Hey, how come when I, when I, you know, try to play this and I go to the hi-hat, my, my stick goes like, this, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll deem that a problem for lack of a better word. You know, mm -hmm. so yes, they're, they're telling me their problems. Then it makes me go, hmm. And then I go, well, my maybe stick you does do that it. too. <laughs> right. Or, or, or like, then it makes me just think about it more when I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Right. And there's an awareness that took a lot of my own spontaneity away, you know, but then on the flip side, if I wanted to study with someone I'd be that same person. So I'm not blaming anybody for being that person. That's the way you got to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for me, then it just, I want to maybe be on the other side of the glass. I want to be the person asking the questions, sure. you know, but maybe there's, you know, life goes in phases and I, I have a feeling maybe I'll be ready to be the other person again. Right. So, right. Uh, but currently I'm still, I feel like I'm a student. So the subconscious mind, man, it'll, it'll play, it'll play nasty tricks on you. Uh, mine mine does. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so if people want to follow you or find out more about you or keep up to date with what's going on, where's the best place? Right. Well, I'm that? on the seventh floor now. So, uh, <laughs> it's time to take the elevator up um, and just get behind me, I guess. But no, uh, what they want to follow me as in like a social media following. Sure. Or website, social media. Yeah. I mean, carrier you pigeon. Know, yeah. All that stuff. Um, yeah, I just put my name in and I think, you know, I think my Instagram is under my name and my, uh, my Facebook is under my name and yeah, I mean, I, I part my own domain for years just cause I don't want somebody else, uh, grabbing that on my com and putting up, you know, porn. I want to wait till I can put my own porn up. You know? Right. So I, I don't want somebody else putting up of course. their vision of my porn. So, uh, I parked the name and I'm basically, uh, not using that. I, you know, it's funny. So like you do have to have social media. It, it's just a sign of the times. It's, it's, uh, it's not something that I like to do on every level, but it's not because I don't like technology. I just, there's certain aspects of it I don't like, and I don't want to get into it, but uh, I try to do it in a certain way. And again, maybe I'll change and I'll do it in a different way down the road. But right now I just try to keep it very 
matter of fact, I think is the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And don't be confused by Zach Danziger with the K, because if you go to Zach Danziger with a K dot com, then it's a guitar player. You get a guitar player. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. And I first saw, well, we're not going to get into his website. No, but. we can. Well, whatever. But well, I, no, I just yeah. looked at it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I realized it wasn't your, I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's spelled with a K. Well, that's it. Yeah. And and, and funnily enough, I, I uh, you know, to me, there were, you know, semi-strange coincidences in life that, you know, there are many strange coincidences, but, but there are a few that always stand out. And um, this one stands out. I you know, I, I, it's funny how like these things happen like this. But basically, I went to uh, a drum store in New York. I think I was 15, and I'm walking in, and in the front of the store, people are putting up flyers for their gigs or for recordings and whatever. And there's this flyer that says the Zach Danziger Quartet or something like that. And I'm going, I do a double take, and it's this guy that's not me with a guitar in his hands, and he did spell it Z-A-C-K, I believe. And so I took one of the flyers. I brought it home. I showed my dad. He goes, what is this? Is this a joke? I said, no, I, did. I found this at the drum store. And, you know, didn't know who this guy was. And he has my name one letter off, but he's, he's got the, the spelling like this. So that happened in September. Then I was coming home from a New Year's Eve job, literally at three in the morning with my dad, because I had worked with my dad when I was younger. He plays piano and we had some New Year's Eve job. And I come home and I'm unloading my drums and my name is on my trap case. And this person does a double take and goes, this is weird. I go, what's weird? He goes, my name's Zach Danziger. Huh. Okay. So this was the same guitar player. That, that had I, the signs in the window. Or that the had store. the signs at the store that three months ago, I, I knew of him that way. He knew of me. He would never know of me unless he had walked by and seen my name on a trap case. You see what I mean? Right. And just that coincidence that the way we both met or knew of each other was with seeing our names in print. You know what I mean? Because the right. only, he would never, he could pass me a hundred times in the street and not know. Never know who you are. Name. And we never know we had the same name. So what are the odds of someone walking by on New Year's Eve at four in the morning seeing you come with your trap case? I think those are strange coincidences. Now, and, is that uh, the guy with the website? Yes. That's him. That's him. Wow. That's him. That's, uh-huh. that's pretty funny. So, but anyway, so I don't have a website. I mean, I have it, but there's no data there. Right, you know? right. So, well, yeah. just I, I feel your pain about p- people doing things that aren't. There's like, if you search my name, there's one picture of some dude like taking a selfie in the bathroom with like his shirt off and stuff. That's not me. Yeah, nobody needs that. So, if anybody sees that, I, that's not me, just for the record. Okay. I would just well, like to put that out there. Well, I, I may look for that anyway because I, you know, <laughs> and tag cool. me in it on Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Zach, uh, first of all, thank you for doing this, and second of all, thank you for your dedication to doing it by sitting in a hallway and no, no, random know, people looking at you. And I know, I know. And uh, but I, I appreciate it. And <clears throat> for everybody listening, all the stuff that we talk about will be in the show notes at drummersresource dot com forward slash session two zero eight and. Uh, best of luck with all the, all your technical issues that you have going oh, on. Thank you. I'll need it. And all this long time on the road and uh, congrats on everything that, that you've been doing, man. And it's been, it's been cool to see you progress through these different stages. So uh, I can't wait to see where you're going next. All right. I really appreciate it. Thanks Absolutely, for man. Me. Thanks for doing right. it. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. Take care. 
So there he is, the one and only Zach Danziger. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. It was great to have him on there, and I love his his perspective on evolving as a player, as intertwining electronics and acoustics, and his approach to all of that, and some pretty deep stuff there with the electronics that I think once he gets that really figured out and tweaked, it should be really, really cool. So again, you can learn more about Zach and everything that we talk about in the podcast at drummersresource.com forward slash session 208. And if you dig this podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating and review on iTunes. I would appreciate it. Plus, it helps the podcast show up higher in the ratings and all that fun stuff. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.